If you have a Bible, and I know you all don't have one, but if you have one, turn to 2 Peter chapter 2. And we're going to look at several scriptures today and kind of come to a concluding uh, thought for us this afternoon. But 2 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to look at a couple of verses here, verses 6, 7, and 8 of 2 Peter chapter 2. Verse number 6, the Bible says, And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly, and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day, with their unlawful deeds. The most unchristian-like Christian in the Bible has to be Lot. Right? The most unchristian-like Christian has to be Lot. We're going to look at some Old Testament scriptures in a minute, but if all you did was read the Old Testament scriptures about Lot, you wouldn't think he was a Christian. You have to read 2 Peter 2 to even understand that Lot was a Christian. It says he delivered just Lot. The word just there is referring to his position with God. He was righteous positionally. Lot had put his faith in God. I believe you're going to meet Lot in heaven someday. But Lot did not live the Christian life as you're supposed to live it. Have you ever met somebody that was kind of a hypocrite? I mean, they said one thing, but their life was different. Maybe you've met somebody that claimed to be a Christian, but then you heard them talk and you thought, I don't think Christians are supposed to talk like that. Or maybe they, they started talking about some of the things they're doing. You're thinking, eh, uh, the Christianity I know, you don't do that stuff if you're saved. Have you ever seen an unchristian like Christian in the mirror? Have you ever looked at yourself and thought, oh, man, that wasn't a very Christian thing I just did. That wasn't a very Christian thing I just said. That wasn't a very Christian thing I just thought. Unchristian like Christians. Now, Lot was a saved man, but his cities where he lived were destroyed by God because Lot Somewhere along the line, lost something. Now, I don't know about you, but when I lose something, if I lose my key or I lose my phone or I, I lose my wallet or something like that, I don't know what you do, but I have to then retrace my steps, right? You have to kind of remember, okay, when did I last have my wallet? Okay, I had it at the grocery store because I, I bought some groceries, okay? Where have I been since then? And you kind of walk back in your mind to all those places you were thinking that it's got to be somewhere between point B and point A where I started with it, right? So you kind of walk back through your life to try to figure out where you lost it. So in the few minutes we have this afternoon, we understand that Lot does not have a good testimony. Lot is saved. He's a Christian, as we would call him today. But Lot was not living the kind of life you're supposed to live. So where did he lose it? Let's walk back. Let's go back in time. Take your Bible if you have it there. And first, I want you to see 
back in Genesis. Let's go back to Genesis where it all kind of starts. Go back to Genesis, and I want you to see, first of all, a vulgar compilation. I know those are big words. But go to Genesis chapter 19. And I want you to see, as we walk back to try to figure out where Lot lost his testimony. Genesis chapter 19. And look at verse number 30. The Bible says, And Lot went up out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountain, and his two daughters with him, for he feared to dwell in Zoar, and he dwelt in a cave, he and his two daughters. And the firstborn said unto the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man in earth to come in unto us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve seed of our father. And they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. And he perceived not when she lay down or when she arose. And it came to pass on the morrow that the firstborn said unto the younger, Behold, I lay yesternight with my father. Let us make him drink wine this night also, and go thou in and lie with him, that we may preserve seed of our father. And they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him, and he perceived not when she lay down or when she arose. Thus were both the daughters of Lot with child by their father. And the firstborn bare a son and called his name Moab, the same as the father of the Moabites unto this day. The younger she also bare a son, called his name Benami, the same as the father of the children of Ammon unto this day. Is this a sordid, wicked story or what? We're talking about a righteous man. We're talking about a just man. We're talking about, as we would call him today, a Christian. And here he is up in a cave, drunk, committing incest with his daughters. And now he's dead to two boys through his daughter. This is wicked. This is horrible. This this is not what you'd expect of a Christian. Young people, can I tell you something? Everybody in here is capable of the worst kind of sin. Because we have a flesh. We have an old nature. We were born as sinners. In sin did my mother conceive me. And Paul said, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Don't think just because you go to church or just because your mom and dad are saved or maybe you're in a Christian school or you're homeschooled, that you're you're not susceptible to the temptations of Satan because you are as I am. We are capable of doing the worst of the worst. Paul said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. The fact that you're here this afternoon, that you're part of a youth group, that you go to a church, that you have a Bible in your life, that's all by the grace of God. You you could be out in the world on drugs right now. You could be messing up your life in some very horrible way. Sin will always take us farther than we want to go. It'll keep us longer than we want to stay, and it'll cost us a whole lot more than we want to pay. The temptations of sin, young people, are real. And if we're not careful, we can get drawn away. But this vexed condition of Lot that we read about in 2 Peter chapter 2, it didn't start here in Genesis 19. It's not where it started. We've got to go back further. So go back a little bit further. Go back to chapter 13 of Genesis, 
I want you to see where Lot is living. We see a vile culture. In Genesis chapter 13, look at verse number 13. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Uh, Go back to chapter 19, where we just were. Look at verse 1. And there came two angels to, to Sodom at even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom, and Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them and bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into the, your servant's house, and tarry all night. Wash your feet, and ye shall rise up early and go on your ways. And they said, Nay, we'll, we'll abide in the street all night. And he pressed upon them greatly, and they turned in unto him and entered into his house, and he made them a feast and did bake unleavened bread, and did, they did eat. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot and said unto him, Where are the men which came in unto thee this night? Bring them out unto us, that we may know them. When these angels came to Sodom to tell Lot that God was going to destroy these cities, Lot brings him into his house, and the Bible says the men of the city, not just a few of the men, says all of the men from every quarter, both young and old, all the men came to his house, and they knocked the door and said, bring these, these angels out, bring these men out. We want to have sex with them. Sodom is called Sodom for a reason, okay? A wicked, vile culture. This is Lot's zip code. This is where his house is. This is what he's living in. Look at chapter 19 and verse 24. Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven, and he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities, and that was grew upon the ground. God destroyed this place because of their wickedness. If you go over to the land of Israel, you'll probably take a trip down to the Dead Sea. If you go on a a Holy Land tour someday in your life, you go over to Israel and see the Bible lands, they'll take you on a trip down to the Dead Sea. On your way down there, if the guide knows anything about the Bible, he'll point out a place that they think Sodom and Gomorrah stood. They'll show you a place along the road there where they think this is probably the place where Sodom and Gomorrah once stood. But nobody really knows because it doesn't exist. There's absolutely no remnant left of these two cities. Nothing. They have searched all around that Dead Sea. They've even searched in the Dead Sea. Some think that it's down under the Dead Sea someplace. But they've searched all around that area. There are no artifacts. There is nothing there. God obliterated these cities from off the face of the earth because of their wickedness. And this is where Lot is living, this vile culture. But his vexed condition, his backslidden condition didn't start there. we got to go back further. So turn back again to chapter 19 and notice a vain credibility. He's warned by these angels that God's going to destroy the cities. And in verse 12, the Bible says in chapter 19, The men of the city said unto Lot, Haste thou here, uh, Hast thou here any besides? Son-in-law, and thy sons, and thy daughters, and whatsoever thou hast in the city, bring them out of this place. For we will destroy this place, because the cry of them is waxen great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. 
And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get ye out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. His own family. He has no credibility. He has no testimony, even with his own family. His message was empty. His words were, were, were hollow. See, Lot forgot that your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Uh, if your say doesn't match your way, you have no sway. Okay? In other words, sometimes your actions are so loud, I can't hear what you're saying. Right? Lot has a vain credibility. And nobody's listening to him. Interesting verse in, in, in Psalm 66, verse 18. It says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Okay? And, and we use that verse to say, look, if you're going to be on, on, on praying ground with God, you've got to make sure your heart's clean. You've got you to be free of sin. In other words, we can't approach God with sin in our lives and expect him to hear our prayers. But think about this. If, if we've got sin in our life, God's not hearing us. Do you suppose anybody else is going to be listening? If we're allowing our lives to live sinfully, do you, do you think our, when we invite somebody to church, they're going to come? If God doesn't even listen to us? If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. How do we expect the lost man to hear us? How do we expect anybody around us to be concerned about what we have if the Lord isn't even listening? There was a vain credibility, but that's not where this vexed condition started. We've got to go back further. We still haven't found it. Go to chapter 19, look at verse 1. There was a visible compromise. In verse 1, we already read it, there came two angels to Sodom at even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. Now, that's kind of a quick little phrase there. He sat in the gate of Sodom, but it has great significance because that's where the rulers of the city sat. Again, if you go over to Israel, you'll notice at the gate of the city, when you come into any city, there's usually a gate there where they pass through, uh, and, and they would come into the city through, a, through an arch. And as soon as you enter that city, oftentimes even today, you'll see some, some chairs that are hewn out of stone where the leaders of that city would sit. This is where they had their city council meetings, at the gate of the city. In some of those places in Bible lands, you'll notice that the armrest of those chairs, those stone chairs, they have little bowls cut into the armrest. That was for the tax collectors. It's like when you pass through that gate, you had to pay a toll. You had to pay your taxes. And so they would keep the coins right there in the arm of the chair. It was the place of the city where all of the political decisions were made. And Bible scholars believe that Lot, by sitting in the gate of the city, was probably one of those leaders. A visible compromise. This is a man who knows God. This is a man who has believed in God. He has faith in God. But he's presiding over, he's in leadership over the most wicked city that has ever existed. Teenager, understand something. God and this world have absolutely nothing in common. We have so many Christians today that, that think, well, I can be a Christian, but I want to kind of blend into the world too. I don't want the world to think I'm weird. I don't, I don't want the world to think I'm crazy. So I'm going to kind of try to look like the world and act like the world so I can reach the world. Listen, young person, God and the world have nothing in common. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, for all that is in the world. 
the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life, it's not of the Father, but it's of the world. And the world passed away in the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. God and culture have nothing in common. And yet so often we, we try to blend in. God says, arise ye and depart. This is not your rest. It's polluted. It'll destroy you with a sore destruction. That's why God says, uh, 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 be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. What fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? What conquereth Christ with Belial? What parteth he that believeth with an infidel? What agreement hath the temple of God with idols, whose temple you are? For God has said, I'll dwell in them and be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them. Be separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I'll receive you and be a father unto you. And ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Peter said, you're a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a peculiar people. And you should be showing forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light which were not a people, but now are the people of God. Here's Lot, but this isn't where he lost his, his testimony. This isn't where his soul was vexed either. We've got to go back further. We go back to Genesis 13, we see a vulnerable covetousness. In chapter 13 and verse number 10, and Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zor. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. Here was a vulnerable covetousness. Young person, what well-watered plain are you looking at? God has a plan for your life. But some of you are looking over the fence of God's will. You're saying, but, but I like that over there. I, I, I don't want to go God's way. I told you in my testimony earlier, I didn't want to go God's will, God's way. I, I want to do my thing. And I was looking over that fence. And you know what? God has a way of getting you back in the pasture. And Lot, is, he's not looking at what does God want in my life. He's looking at what the world has to offer. He's looking at what, what, what the culture has to offer. You know, uh, Billy Sunday used to say, if you want to quit sinning, stay out of the devil's neighborhood. I, I, I like to put it this way. Uh, there's way too much window shopping at the mall of sin. You, know, you ever go to the mall, just look? You ever go to the mall, just you just hanging out, just stroll through the mall. You know, uh, there's always a sale. In fact, there's usually somebody giving away freebies. And you know, the world is like the mall of sin, and some of us are just kind of strolling through the world. We're taking all the freebies. We're looking at all the stuff. You know what? If you look long enough, you're going to buy. Because the devil has some powerful sales when it comes to sin. And some of us think, well, I'm not, I'm not participating in sin. I just like to enjoy it a little bit. I like to look at it on my phone, or I like to, I like to uh, uh, you know, uh, think about it a little bit, or I like to enjoy it a little bit. Your eye affects your heart. All the devil's trying to do is get you to look a different direction than God, and he's got you. And Jesus said, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back, 
He didn't say, no man having put his hand to the plow and going back is fit for the kingdom of God. He said, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back. Have you ever been driving with somebody, they're driving, and, and you say, oh, look at that. And they go, oh, wow. <laughs> and their, their hands on the steering wheel followed their eyes. First when you're over here in the ditch. And the devil knows if he can get us to look. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof. When, when, when Achan saw the Babylonian garment and the shekels of silver and the wedge of gold, he coveted them and took them and hid them in his tent. Samson saw a woman of Timnath and said, Get her for me. She pleaseth me well. David saw a woman washing on the rooftop. All the devil has to get you to do is look, and the rest is history. But this isn't where Lot lost his testimony. We've got to go back further. Look at chapter 13 and verse number 1. We see a vetoed council. And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot went with them in the, into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle and silver and gold. And he went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Hai, unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. And Lot also, which was with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents, and the land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together, for their substance was great, so they could not dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle, and the Canaanite and the Perizzite and, uh, dwelled in the land. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou take the left hand, then I'll go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I'll go to the left. And Lot lift up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest into Zorah. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. A vetoed council. Abram, Lot's uncle, had a lot of stuff. He had a lot of servants. He had a lot of cattle, a lot of sheep. Lot, he had a big family and a lot of stuff as well. And the servants of these two, the, the, the uncle and the nephew, began to get at odds. They weren't getting along. And Abraham, the spiritual man that he was, realized this. And he said, you know what? This isn't good. Uh, we we got to be a testimony to the Perizzites, the Canaanites. We're, our testimony is at stake here. So let's separate. We're big enough to get out on our own here. You're, you, you've got enough, uh, enough uh, equity here to go on your own now, Lot. And so let's separate. And, 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 and Abraham said, Lot, if you want to go to the left, then I'll go to the right. And if you want to go to the right, then I'll go to the left. Now, I used to read that and I think, okay, so we know Lot chose the wrong direction. What if he had chosen the right direction? Would Abraham ended up in Sodom? Because we know that's where Lot ended up. And Abraham gave him the choice. He said, you want to go left, I'll go right. You want to go right, I'll go left. And we know Lot chose the wrong way. So what if Lot had chosen the right way, then does that mean Abraham would have had this story that we just talked about? And the answer to that is no. If you study this geographically with a map in front of you, or just your King James Bible will do too, 
Here's what it said. Abraham said, Lot, if you want to go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you want to go to the right, I'll go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld the well-watered plain of Jordan. That was well-watered. Lot didn't go left or right. He vetoed the council. Now, Abraham was the spiritual man. Abraham was the elder. He was his uncle. Lot should have respected that council. Lot, it doesn't matter. Go right or left. Either way, it'd be fine. I'll go the other way. But Lot, it goes right over his head, and he's got his eyes on the well-watered plains of Jordan. And young person, this is where it started. With one ignored counsel, Lot makes a choice on his own. Are you vetoing, are you vetoing any counsel in your life, teenager? When your mom and dad give you some advice, you say, oh, I'll do what they want to do. When your pastor's preaching, you say, oh, not listen to him. When your youth pastor talks to you in Sunday school class, oh, he's, he's old. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Young person, be careful. Because there's not one person in here that wants to end up in a cave drunk and committing incest. But it all starts... See, he vexed his soul. He lost it all right here when he, when, he, when he made a wrong decision. Choices are ours to make. Nobody can make his choice except him. Everybody has a liberty within their soul to choose for themselves. Choices are yours to make, but you don't get to choose the consequences of that choice. You can decide, I'm never going back to church. Okay, nobody can make you go to church. Nobody can force you to go to church. But you don't get to decide what the consequences of that decision are. Nobody can make you get saved. If you're not saved, nobody can force you to get saved. But you don't control the consequences of not being saved. See, what counsel are you vetoing in your life? There's a man named David who's in jail this morning or this afternoon in New York State. He's in a federal penitentiary. David will never get out of that penitentiary. He's there for life. His parole has come up multiple times, and each time has been denied. He is serving a life sentence, David Berkowitz. David Berkowitz is not known in America as David Berkowitz. Now, if you Google his name, you'll get the story, but most people know in America David Berkowitz as the son of Sam. David Berkowitz, as a young man, went to New York City and killed six young ladies and injured several others in individual attacks. If you Google Son of Sam, if you want to look at the story later today or whatever, he led New York City on the most extensive um, manhunt to this day. They couldn't figure out who was murdering these, these, these ladies and who was racking havoc for quite some time. 
He was finally caught, tried, sentenced to a life sentence. And as I said, his parole has come up a number of times because this was way back in the 1970s. But you know what, young people, it didn't start there. It didn't start when David moved to New York. One of my sons decided to do his speech recital at West Coast on the story of David Berkowitz because he had heard me tell the story. He decided to do some research and search his life out. He came one day to me and, and, and Brock said, Dad, could I write Mr. Berkowitz? Could I write him? See if I could get a response. He wrote him, got a response, wrote him again, got another response. You see, David is saved. He has Bible studies every week in that penitentiary. He leads many prisoners to the Lord. But David was saved before he went to prison. He was saved as a 13-year-old boy in Louisville, Kentucky. And David got on fire for God. In fact, he went to his pastor one day. He said, Pastor, I want to serve the Lord. What can I do in the church? What can I do? The pastor said, well, David, we have a bus ministry. Would you like to help on a bus? Oh, could I do that? He said, well, sure. Let me get you with a bus captain. You can go out and knock on some doors on Saturday and ride the bus on Sunday and help kids come. David started doing that as a 13-year-old boy. Pretty soon, he was influencing so many people to come to church, that route had to get another bus. had two buses. Pretty soon, when he was 13 years old, the deacons bought a bus for David, his own bus route. Had to give him a driver. He wasn't old enough to drive the bus. And pretty soon, he had two buses. Pretty soon he was going to the local Air Force base there near Louisville and bringing those, those uh, Air Force men to church, 20 of them at a time, every Sunday. His pastor said there was rarely a Sunday in that church for years when David did not bring six or seven people down the aisle to be saved at the, at the invitation. But one day when David was 17, he was listening to his pastor preach and his pastor said something that just didn't quite click with him, didn't quite make sense. Wasn't sure he agreed with it. But rather than do what he should have done, and that is go to his pastor and say, Pastor, I have a question. I, I don't understand what you were talking about there. I, I'm not sure I, I see that in the Bible or whatever. He didn't. He just left it inside. And he ate at it. He just kind of ate at it. And after a few months... He um, gave up his bus route. After a few more months, he quit coming on Wednesday night, and then Sunday night, and pretty soon church altogether. And all through this process, his pastor, his youth pastor, the friends in the youth group, they all came to him and said, Dave, what's wrong? What's wrong? Nothing. I'm good. Wouldn't talk about it. Finally, when David was 18, when he finished high school and turned 18, he said, I am out of here. I don't want to be bothered by these people anymore. I don't, I don't want to be in church. I, I don't want to do any of this stuff. And he said, I'm going someplace where nobody knows me. And he moved to New York where he committed those crimes. And today will live the rest of his life in a state penitentiary. You know where it started? He made a decision one day when he was 13 and then 14.
and then 15 and 16. And one day he made a wrong decision. And he's one of the most notorious criminals American history has ever known. He's a Christian. Like I said, he has Bible studies every, every day in that penitentiary. I've read those letters that he wrote to us. You know what he said in each one of those letters? He said, Brock, if you have a chance to tell teenagers anything, tell them to listen to their counsel and make right decisions. That's why I like to tell the story. He asked us to. Young person, you don't have to end up like Lot. There's no reason to. But you're going to have to make some right decisions. And that's why we're glad you're here, because you made the right decision to say, okay, youth pastor, I'll go to that. Okay, mom, dad, I'll go to that. That's what you got to do. Do what's right. Do what's right. And somebody says, hey, are you reading your Bible? Yeah, I haven't, then I need to. Hey, we missed you in church. Okay, I'll get back next time. Be careful about decisions in your life that you're making. Let's bow our heads and our hearts for a minute.